guys, Tim Barton. Welcome to One Room Schoolhouse, our long-form interviews. We're going to be talking to people who are leaders in their fields, uh, people around the cultural relevant issues of the day. We want to just find out what's going on, what advice they have, maybe some things we can learn from them around those issues, and then what are things we can do to make a difference going forward. Today joining us is one of our good friends, Brad Dacus from Pacific Justice Institute, although we could fairly call it uh, American Justice Institute because they're not just on the Pacific Coast anymore. They have offices all over the U.S., and they are some leaders on the front line defending constitutional rights, basic foundational principles of America. So really excited to have Brad Dacus with us today. Okay, Brad, so you have done a lot with Pacific Justice, uh, a lot of issues you guys have been dealing with around the culture. One of the things that I know uh, y'all have been to the forefront of is protecting parental rights. Really, I mean, really, we're, we're protecting kids from some of the wokeness around them, but we are now seeing states that are suggesting if parents don't support any whim of a child, that parents should lose their privileges, quote unquote, uh, their, their right, the responsibility of being a parent. You guys have been in the, the front end of that. I'm so grateful for it. So can you explain to us maybe what are some of some of the situations we're seeing around the nation? Uh, how have you guys been involved in that? Uh, and maybe is, is there hope in this at all? Well, there's definitely hope. As long as there's uh, an election around the corner, there's always hope. And as long as we've got a, a God who uh, brings revival and uh, has historically done the impossible in terms of change and social change, there's definitely hope. Uh, but let me just talk about some examples of what we're facing, because it is becoming darker and darker and a, and a greater challenge to the rights of parents. Uh, first is with regard to social workers. Tim, we are seeing social workers uh, going into houses and taking children simply because the parents are not willing to encourage gender confusion in their child. Uh, social workers say, oh, no, unless you're willing to uh, quote unquote affirm, they say, you know, the confusion that a child has about their gender, then they're not qualified. This is abuse. Uh, we need to take the child and let the state have custody so the state can begin the process. We had a case like this up in Northern California. Um, this is not just, you know, theoretical. This is actually what we're seeing happening on multiple cases. So Northern California, young teenage girl says, to her friend, she wants to change her gender. She thinks she, or she said, she just feels like she's, um, feels like she's the opposite sex. This is early adolescence. Uh, our friend tells the teacher, teacher tells the counselor, counselor tells the social worker. Social worker takes the child after finding out that the family says that they're Christians and that they would not encourage confusion, but rather get solid biblical-based counseling. So they, upon the advice of their psychiatrist, who's paid off, by that local social services agency, I see a conflict of interest here, mm -hmm. they take the child and they want to begin injection with hormones to begin the process of trying to distort the gender. You can't really change a gender. You have to, every cell in, your, in our body is, is unanimous as to what our gender is. So you have to literally take out the DNA out of every cell in our body and change it from XY to XX or vice versa. And, and Brad, but, uh, I suggest so, here too, that this is where some people say, right, they were born this way and, and, and you're, you're opposing how they were born. Well, if they're born that way, then they don't need the shots and injections, right? If they, right. If they were born a certain way, then let them go the way they were born. But when you are doing things that whether it be a chemical castration or a, a literal physical cutting, when you are doing medical intervention, 
to prohibit that child from growing in the natural process of their body, this is not helping them become who they were. This is interrupting them becoming who they were and making them something that God did not make them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm really glad you mentioned about the issue of were they born that way. That is the biggest lie that is not supported by science at all. The fact is, this is a mental condition, completely a mental condition. And it's the result not of genetics, not of being born this way or anything biological. Um, it's the result of experiences, external social experiences. Like uh, it's, it can be the fruit of uh, sexual child abuse and or lack of peer-to-peer bonding. Uh, basically, it, it comes from the desire that the child has to want to escape their past from these experiences and become a different person. And by quote unquote, you know, by distorting their gender and having a new identity to separate themselves from these past issues that were not addressed or not being addressed. That's why solid, constructive counseling is so critical. Uh, and that's why uh, so many, after having any kind of procedure like this to distort their gender, uh, are so unhappy. Depression does right. not go down. Suicide does not go down. So we, we, we've been taking on these cases. We got involved in this case in Northern California, Tim. And we went in, we fought this in the court. We prevented the injections from beginning. At the end of the day, we won. And the girls told the judge, Your Honor, and by, by the way, um, I just want you to know, I, I don't think I really feel like I want to be a different gender after all. This girl would have been permanently sterilized wow. and messed up by the state of California. Wow. Had we not stepped in and, and saved her. And this is not isolated. We've also got a case in Orange County. Had we not st- stepped in, two kids would have been taken from a Christian family, two little children, and placed with one that was an LGBTQ type of a, of a relationship, right. Right. totally divergent for what statistically is in the best interest of the child. Study out of the University of Texas Psychology Department found that the best family for a child is one where there's a mom and a dad that provides solid moral uh, structure. Uh, not things that are divergent. That actually right. leads the child off statistically at a much higher rate of suicide, drug abuse, dropout, and teen pregnancy, as well as uh, same-sex sexuality and experimentation. So we saved those two kids. Bottom line, though, Tim, this is happening across the country, and that's why if anyone out there uh, knows of someone who is being investigated by a social worker and they may lose their children, they should definitely go to our website, pji.org and we even have on there a, an article 12 steps to protect your children from cps or child protective services or social workers i highly encourage people to go to our website every family should download that and have that immediately available in the event that uh, they're confronted by a social worker for whatever reason well, glad I'm, I, Brad, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That was, that was literally my first thought and question is, okay, for parents out there going, this is crazy. Or, for, you know, unfortunately, some of these parents, they might be dealing with this from a school, from, from other family members, from a social worker. And, and so they're looking for open answers. So PJI.org is the place to go, uh, Brad, to follow up with some of what you were suggesting. When people go through this, this hormonal change process, right, whatever that looks like, what we see from the studies is you, you mentioned it didn't lower the rates of depression or suicide. 
suicide. The studies that I've seen actually indicate it increases the rates of depression and suicide. And even right. to your point of that girl that went to the judge afterwards and said, I think I've changed my mind. What we also see from the studies is it's somewhere 80, 90% something of the kids that once that, that felt like they were a different gender. Once they've gone through the puberty process, then they come out thinking, oh yeah, I, I, I was never a girl. I was never a boy, right? I was what biologically I was from the beginning, whether it's the, you know, the X and Y chromosomes, wherever they fell on the spectrum of that. But this is something that we are, we are stopping the natural process of growth and development with this wokeness of society. Certainly it's a deviation from what God intended, which is why I'm so grateful. There are groups of organizations, Brad, like Pacific Justice Institute that are, are fighting on the front lines for this. Uh, and, and speaking of the front lines, uh, we have been very blessed to have you come and speak at our pro-family legislators conference uh, a couple times over the last couple of years. And this year there, there's a, a new bill rolling out that you guys have been very strategic in, in helping put together some of the, the policy, the ideas for it, and it's to once again bring chaplains back into school. And part of that, uh, for those listening and watching that might not be familiar with all the cases at the Supreme Court, uh, there's a couple of big decisions that have come down that have changed some of the landscape for religious liberty. So Brad, do you mind taking a minute and maybe explaining some of how the landscape has shifted because of those Supreme Court decisions, and, and now the opportunities that are there, and then we can come back to this new piece of model legislation you guys are helping with? Oh, you bet. The Supreme Court uh, has had a major earthquake in terms of case law regarding religious freedom. Uh, it it uh, came out of a case uh, by uh, that uh, dealt with a, a coach, uh, Coach Kennedy. Uh, he was uh, told that uh, he could not, uh, you know, pray in front of uh, anyone after a football game. He won the case in the Supreme Court made it very clear that the old lemon test is dead, uh, that uh, this test that was used to sterilize faith from the public square and public places and uh, is, is no longer good. So we have now have an open opportunity for people of faith to be confident that they have not shed their bill. And uh, we pick up all the costs, all the expenses. And we're supported by moms and dads out there, grandmas and grandpas, churches, uh, they see what we're doing, they see the results, and they get behind and they support us. It really is making a huge difference. Uh, all donations are tax deductible. And I encourage them also to go to our website, not just maybe to support our work on a one-time or a monthly basis, uh, but also to sign up to get our free e-newsletter, which talks about our many cases that they're not going to hear about in mainstream media, which will be very empowering. Also great resources like opt-out forms and other things, all available without charge at pji.org, pji, and, and dealing with that and strengthening religious freedom. It's going to help us in our case in uh, Olympia, Washington, where we're defending a Christian-owned women's Korean spa. A man comes in and says, hey, I feel like I'm a woman. I want to go in there with the, you know, with the women and their, their daughters. Uh, the, you know, Korean spas were, you know, were, were closed. So he wanted to strip down, be naked in front of these women, something that would have uh, you know, this kind of uh, exhibitionism, uh, exhibitionism is something that has been uh, criminal. And yet he wants to contend he has some kind of right to do this. Uh, they said, no, the Christian, of course, Christian business owners said, absolutely not. There's mothers and their daughters in there. Um, but now the state of Washington is suing the, them to try to shut them down. That's how sick and twisted yeah. uh, the government of the state government of Washington state is, along with Oregon and California and other states like that. So we're defending them. Um, so those are some examples about religious freedom. Now, fast forward, 
the school chaplains. Hey, Tim, we're seeing great progress there. And before we get into school chaplains, I would love to go back and talk about that for a second because, I, you know, obviously at Wall Builders, we try to uh, restore some of the, the foundational principles of America. Obviously, Pacific Justice, y'all are doing the same thing. We're running very similar courses, different lanes, different races. But the, the reason it makes such a difference that we restore this biblical Christian foundation is because if you don't have the underpinning morals in society, who's to say that this man is wrong for what he does? Well, it's clearly wrong. How do we know it's wrong? Well, it's because we have a standard that we can reference. The standard is outlined in the Bible. It's outlined in, in the basic principles of our nation that recognized that there was a divine creator and, and there was a laws of nature and nature is God. And, and, and he laid things out a certain way. And this is a violation of the moral standards. But if there is no God, there can be no objective moral standards. And this is why, right, if, right for everyone, listening. It's why it makes such a difference that we are involved in the process of restoring a faith foundation. And, you know, for everybody listening, certainly we often look politically and we think we need new political leaders. Political leaders make a big difference. There's no doubt about it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 2, that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. You want to have good, godly leaders. But if you have godly leaders and don't restore faith inside the home, don't restore faith inside the church and the community, then a good leader might slow down the decay, but they're not going to ultimately solve the problem. And we have to restore this moral foundation by getting back and restoring faith, specifically Christianity, the Bible, learning to live and act like Jesus, because certainly what this guy is doing is a violation of what we would consider moral decency and standards. Um, and, and let me then back up. You mentioned the, the Lemon decision. Just so everybody knows, when, when we talk about the Lemon decision, the, and Brad, you probably can correct me. I'm going to give uh, kind of the the brief example. And then if it doesn't go the right way, you can tell me that there's you know different details, whatever. But the way I would explain it, the Lemon decision in essence says that you could only do something in public that appeared religious if you can prove you're not doing it for religious reasons, right? So uh, they didn't say no religion, they, but they said it, it can't look like it's religious. And if it is religious, if it has the appearance of religion, you can't do it. And you can, again, you can clarify that, clear that up for me in a second. But that limit decision was cited more than 7,000 times in different cases, striking down religion. When, when that Stone v. Graham happened in 1980, saying that in Kentucky, they could not put up copies of Ten Commandments in public schools, Stone v. Graham cited the Lemon decision. And we can go through this long list of more than 7,000 cases where religious freedom or religious expression was taken away, and they cited the Lemon decision. Well, now that the Supreme Court has overturned the Lemon decision and said that's a, that's a bogus decision, Standard, we're not using it anymore. You have roughly 50 years of precedent that religious freedom has been struck down under that. And so now all the things that we were told we couldn't do because it violated the lemon test, those are now things that are viable options back on the table. Among those viable options for restoring some sense of morality, decency, and even some Christian values, this is where I now would love to introduce that, that model legislation that maybe can have chaplains be back in school. Brad, will you walk us through that a little bit? Oh, you bet. Um, it, it was in the state of Texas where this uh, started in the United States. Now, before that, school chaplains had been placed in uh, schools, uh, many, many schools south of the border, Central, South America, uh, Bolivia, and they'd seen tremendous results. Suicide went way down. School attendance went way up. Teenage pregnancies went way down. Drug abuse went way down. Um, it was night and day. 
So we introduced this information along with a wonderful uh, ministry that we have uh, partnered with uh, that's doing a, a great uh, a great job. I think it's National Christian Schools Project or Chaplains Project, um, school chaplains. Um, and we've been working with them. We testified regarding this legislation in, in Texas to allow public schools to have funded chaplains in every public school if the school district wanted it. We testified in very clear why it is constitutional. Uh, that took care of those concerns. And then that the, the assembly, the House and the Senate in Texas, uh, super majorities voted for it. The governor, Abbott, approved it. And now we're seeing school districts in Texas jumping on board, taking advantage of it. And uh, with that, we, we see states uh, like Florida, for example, and others uh, moving on this as well. And we at Pacific Justice, with our offices all over the country, have attorneys that are now testifying before legislatures to support quality legislation like the school chaplains legislation. And as you alluded to, this is a really big deal for lots of reasons. First of all, the fact that you have attorneys that are willing to go and testify before these committees, there's a lot of elected officials who just don't know what the law is. It's similar to a lot of pastors who are scared to mention anything culturally relevant that might deal with politics, right? Cultural issues because, you know, legally they don't think they can. Well, there's way more they can do. They just don't know what the law actually says. For some of these state elected officials, they don't realize how the Supreme Court decision has changed the face of this legal precedent and what now is upheld as constitutional. So it's incredible you guys are going in and doing that. But we did see recently, I think it was Utah that was uh, had this bill in committee that was going through this bill. And I think, I think it was someone from either a satanic temple, a satanic priest that showed up and, and they were using this fear tactic where they said, we're so glad you're going to let chaplains because now we can go and be chaplains in school. And I think this is one of those things that we have seen, even when it comes to maybe something like school choice or uh, Article 5, and I don't want to get into a lot of controversial issues. It's not really the point of our conversation now, but I think that there's some people that would look at the school chaplain bill and go, wait a second, this might be really, really bad because what if it let people of a different faith come and be a chaplain? What What are your thoughts regarding that? Are there concerns yeah. that this might secularize the school, which one of the thoughts already I have, right? When people are like, we don't want Satan in our schools. I'm like, you don't think he's already in the public schools, right? Like you, you don't think that's already happening there now, not to digress too much, but do you see concerns as Christians? We, we want to obviously right. defend the constitution because we're constitutionalists in America, but we're Christians and, and we don't want the devil to be promoted in schools. What is the balance? Should there be a concern? Uh, should there maybe be hesitation from us supporting this bill? No. And here's the reason why. <laughs> um, it, the, there, there really shouldn't be concerns because in order for someone to be a chaplain, they have to be, it has to be approved by the school district as in order to function in that capacity as a paid chaplain by the school district. So the school district, the community chooses. It's highly unlikely they're going to choose someone who's calling themselves a satanic priest, number one. Number two, they have to go through certain levels of training and certification for chaplains to see. Um, I've yet to hear of a, a satanic uh, person worshiping Satan, allegedly, uh, going through that. And by the way, most of these these people that say they're you know for Satan clubs, they're not for Satan clubs. They call them Satan clubs, but they're atheists. Mm -hmm. They hate Christians. Right. They create the Satan club, quote-unquote, 
just to panic parents so parents will get rid of the Christian club. Right. And it's actually, the Satan club is the greatest example of a hate club I have ever seen because their purpose is not what they're saying it's for. They're actually atheists. Their purpose is, is simply to get rid of another club. Yeah. And then they'll get rid of their club. So it's it's hate-filled atheists who are starting with these Satan clubs in the same way those who are saying, oh, we're going to be Satan uh, chaplains. It's the same deal. It's a scare tactic to try to yeah. keep competent, qualified, trained, certified chaplains from serving the needs of kids. We know that statistically, schools that have chaplains, like in Puerto Rico, for example, they have about 80 of them, saw incredible changes in the stats of drug abuse, teenage pregnancy, dropout, suicide. It's very, very clear it's going to be a big benefit. And we at Pacific Justice will work with any legislator in any state to help them uh, push this across the line. I was so, so grateful for you guys. And I, kind of finishing that thought, following up a little bit, I, I totally agree with, I don't think there should be a fear and concern because you mentioned it, it, there would be a selection from the local school board. And if there happened to be a local school board in America who chose somebody satanic, all that tells us is that we need to replace that school board, right? It, it, it helps us to narrow down the field of where there should be Christian involvement, Christian engagement. But to your point, I cannot imagine a school board right now thinking that we should be promoting Satan. And actually, I think it was Iowa was a state that was doing that. So I, I, Iowa, they're having that battle, but it's dropping uh, in multiple states right now. I know you guys are incredibly involved. So Brad, for people that want to follow along, that want to hear some more of these cases, obviously Pacific Justice Institute, PJI.org is a place to go. And I assume, I'm asking now, I assume there is a donation button there because I, I know for a lot of what y'all do, y'all are stepping in to help people. So if, for example, maybe there's a parent and, and they're dealing with something. They're thinking, I don't know if I can afford an incredible attorney like those at Pacific Justice Institute. How do y'all navigate that? Yeah, we do all our work without charge, as you know, and uh, we pick up all the costs, all the expenses, and we're supported by moms and dads out there, grandmas and grandpas, churches uh, that see what we're doing. They see the results and they get behind and they support us. It really is making a huge difference. Uh, all donations are tax deductible. I encourage them also to go to our website, not just maybe to support our work on a one-time or a monthly basis, uh, but also to sign up to get our free e-newsletter, which talks about our many cases that they're not going to hear about in mainstream media, which will be very empowering. Also great resources like opt-out forms and other things, all available without charge at pji.org, pji.org. Brad, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate all the work you're doing, all the PJI is doing. God bless you, friend. Thanks so much.